Let's take our Bibles. We're moving to Genesis today, the first book of the Bible to the 28th chapter as we're nearing the end of this series on Tell the Story Again. We're taking a look back at some of the great stories of the Old Testament and seeing the gospel image in those great narratives that we have grown to know over the course of our life. And some of you who are brand new in your faith or maybe beginning to discover the scriptures and the Son of God, maybe you're coming to know these stories. It's a good opportunity for you as well. Now, the story of Jacob's dream in Genesis 28 is a fascinating one. It gives us insight into God's provision and his personal involvement in the daily affairs of earth. By the end of the narrative, we will have a clearer understanding of God's attention and his activity to bring about his will and the fulfillment of his promises. But before I get started in the narrative today, I want to give you a little bit of background so that you understand the context for which the narrative is presented to us. You'll know that God had established his covenant with Abraham, making a promise to him that he, from him, would become a great nation, and God would bless him and make his name great, and all the nations of the world would be blessed by him, through him. And this covenant was established so that he would have promised descendants, a land that God had given to him, and that there would be descendants in great numbers great special relationship that he would have with God. And God affirmed not just the covenant that he was making with Abraham, but to his son Isaac as well. And when Isaac had twin sons who were in his wife's womb, Rebecca's womb, uh, he asked of God or she asked of God what his will was regarding those sons because she recognized there was a struggle in her womb from the two. So she inquired of the Lord what this meaning was all about. She assumed that, uh, like her husband, that the older would receive the blessing that God would have for him. But instead, God makes his will known by saying, no, no, it would be the younger to whom the blessing would flow. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. And the one shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. So God's covenant blessing would take a different course than was expected. His promise to Abraham and Isaac would continue to Jacob, later called Israel, the younger would receive the unique blessing. Now, anyone who has ever concluded that God only uses perfect people has never read chapter 28 of Genesis. In fact, this family is highly dysfunctional. If you know the narrative, you recognize that there are personal and family struggles with deception and favoritism and betrayal and broken trust. There is sibling rivalry and there is parental polarity. There's about as much division in this family as you'll find in anyone. But yet God determines to use these people. God determines to give his covenant, a lasting covenant to them. God determines to bless the world through this highly dysfunctional family. It's just a reminder that God is a God of grace. And so you've wondered about you or your family. I'm telling you, God uses broken people. 
God moves toward broken people to bring about his grace and his perfect will to them, and he will bring it about through them. So when you and I are objects of his mercy and grace, then we live in the richness of his goodness and joy when we embrace the redemptive work of God through Jesus Christ. So this is how goodness and joy comes into our life when we recognize without Christ we are broken, but with Christ he is changing all things. The old has passed away, the new has come. And so we embrace that grace, we embrace his work in our life, and we live with his goodness, and we walk with his joy. Now threatened by his brother Jacob, heeds his mother's plea to go to Haran, and there he would find the origin of her life and the extended family who lived there. And she told him, you just settle there and take a wife from among the family. Now, if you remember growing up, Jacob, I don't want to call him a mama's boy. That, that seems so derogatory, and I don't mean it to be that way. But he was more given to his mother. Uh, he was more given to the inside things of the house than the outside things of the house. He was not very adventuresome outside, didn't like to hunt, didn't like to go out and do those things, didn't make any lesser of a man. He's going to prove to be quite a man that God would use uniquely. But his life and his direction was very different from his brother Esau. But now he finds himself on the outside. He finds himself in a place that is not his own. He finds himself not in the house. He finds himself away from his parents. And he is going to try to find a family that he does not know to procure in time a wife among a people that he has no idea about. When he's just 50 miles or so into this 600 mile or so journey to Haran, he stops for the night to rest. And I'd like to pick up the narrative there in Genesis 28, beginning in verse 10. Take your Bibles, if you will, and read along with me. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay on it lay in that place to sleep, and he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached the heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. Now, anytime we're hearing the word behold, it, it's, it would be in our vernacular, wow, take a look at that. That's, that's what he's saying. This is something unique, unusual. God is at work here this is not, hey, did you see that? It's put your eyes there. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You want to know what Christmas is all about? The blessings of God that have come uniquely through this family, namely the Messiah. Verse 15, behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. 
And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you gave me, I will give a full tenth to you. O Lord, By your spirit, help us to understand the truths of this passage in a way that they give life to us, steps to us, like a lighted pathway unto the glory and honor of Jesus. And for the good of your people, I pray in the name of our Savior, amen. Now, it's important to recognize in this text that Jacob is on a long journey. Beersheba is actually at the southern point of Israel, and he's going to go all the way from the south to the north, and he's going to go into southern Syria, and he's going to travel the length of Syria all the way to the north of Syria, and he is going to enter in and travel all the way to the east of what is now modern-day Turkey. This is a long journey. I can only imagine the sorrow and the brokenness and the loneliness and the isolation that he felt as he is leaving everything and everyone he has known behind. Now remember, he has lied to his father. He has deceived him. He has stolen from his brother, and he leaves banished, seeking refuge in another land. Everything seems upside down to him. The one who is not blessed is now living in the promised land, and the one for whom the blessing of the father was given is now departing that promised land, going to a land where the pagans live, And along the journey, he has stopped and rested because night is falling. Exhausted physically, spiritually, and emotionally, he lies down, positions himself on the flat of a rock, and he falls asleep. I'm not sure that he knew it, but this was a unique place. If you remember, his grandfather made his way here as he was entering into the promised land and sort of surveying the promised land and declaring it to be the land of God. And along the way, alongside of pagan places of worship, Abraham built altars of worship to the Lord. This particular place where Jacob finds himself spending the night was one of those places. And yet here he is resting for the evening on a long, isolated journey. There God speaks to him in a dream. And what he is saying to him is that he is assuring him that he is with him. And not just that he is with him, but he is actively engaged in his life. He is going to bring about the promises that he had given to his grandfather, his father, and he is going to declare those promises to him as well. He says, the land on which you lie, I give to you and your offspring. Now let's just pause right now because it gives us an opportunity with all that's going on in the world, specifically with Israel and Hamas, 
and Hezbollah and Yemen and all those places that are attacking against the people of God. It gives us opportunity to, to frame up our understanding with a biblical worldview. Now, the rest of the world is seeing all that is happening in a geopolitical way. You and I are not viewing things through a geopolitical way. We are viewing things with the mind of Christ, which is a biblical worldview. This is what we need to settle into. What has God told us about the land and the people of the land? God says, to you and your descendants, I give this land. So whatever arguments you're hearing and whatever postulating you are getting from various media sources, you need to stop and say, what do I know about this land, this people, and God's word? And settle into that truth. God says, I give this land to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and the south. And in you and your offspring, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about Christmas. He's talking about the first advent. The Messiah would come to the world, to all the families of the world, through the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This great promise of the first advent is, is declared right here in Genesis 28. But it's not just the first advent, it's the second advent as well. Because not only is Messiah coming, he says to Jacob, but Messiah will come again. And he will bless all the families of the world. Listen, there is a great blessing coming. There is tension and demise and wars and rumors of wars that will continue until Messiah comes again into Jerusalem and he sets up his throne. And though all the world might be against the Jewish people and their Messiah, he will rule with an iron scepter in his hand. And we know there will be peace throughout all the world for a thousand years. What a blessing that is. So he promises this to Jacob, that all the families of the world will be blessed through you. What a promise. He says in verse 15, behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This place where Jacob has put his head is in the West Bank today. Now, we could be focused on a lot of different things about this text, but I think what we ought to focus on is what God was focused on. In this text, the central theme of the story is the promises of God, that covenant that God is making. And when Moses wrote the book of Genesis, he wrote this particular section, as he does many others, in a chiasm. It's a literary style that helps us to understand the central meaning of the text. It takes a lot of intellect or a supernatural empowerment of God to have it written in this way. In a chiasm, words and phrases are used in a direction, and they, they point towards something, and then when the central focus is identified, those same words, expressions, or subjects are used in the descending way so that you have, in a literary style, an arrow and in the middle of that, verses 11, 12, and 13, and then 16 and following, in the middle of that, you find the very promises of God that are given to Jacob and are ultimately blessings to us. 
He wants us to know that the central theme of this text are the promises of God. It's concerning Israel's future. And the Lord is making proclamation that I will take you from the nations and I will gather you from the countries and I will bring you into the promised land. He told that to Jacob, I'm going to bring you back to this place. I won't stop with you until I've completed what I've done. And then he says in Ezekiel to all of the Jewish people, you're scattered or brown, but I will bring you back to this land. There's a great fulfillment coming. Um, If you were going to travel to Israel, don't know that I would necessarily recommend it right now, but if you were going to travel to Israel, you would see construction site after construction site after construction site. It's remarkable. You know why? Because people are moving towards Israel. What people? The Jewish people. They're coming home. There's, a, there's like a beacon going off in them. There's, there's, there's a honing, if you will, for them to come back to that place. Listen, it's going to be done in great proportions when the Spirit of God calls all the Jews to come from all the nations and settle in that place. God is saying, Jacob, I've got a promise to you. I'm going to bring you back here. And to all the people collectively, he says, I'm going to bring you Jewish people back here, and the Messiah will rule over you. And by God's grace, they will accept him as Messiah. So the promises were very significant to Jacob. They're very significant to the Jewish people. But the promises of God are significant to us as well. In fact, when you think about the promises of God that are fulfilled and given to us in Christ Jesus, we know that we are new creations. We're no longer who we once were, but Christ has made us to be born again. The old has passed away. The new life has come. And he has promised that we will forever be at peace with God because Christ has taken the reproach upon himself and granted us that peace as he has reconciled us and justified us before a holy God. And we have victory over sin. We have victory and power to overcome temptation throughout the, our lives by the Spirit and the Word. And we have the forever dwelling of the Holy Spirit who who gives us guidance and comfort and empowerment in this Christian living. And we have the unconditional, unremovable love of God in which nothing can separate us from him. We have eternal life with him in Jesus Christ for whom we will live forever and we will experience complete and glorious healing in the resurrection that is to come. All those are promises that are yes in Christ Jesus, never to be removed from us. What a glorious truth that is. So no matter what you are experiencing in this life, nothing changes the promises of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. You say, oh, it's hard. Yes. It's a battle. Yes. It's difficult. Yes. I'm having a hard time staying focused. Yes. But God's promises have not changed to you. He will fulfill the promises that you find in the scriptures. Now, in Jacob's dream, the ladder extended from heaven to earth. I couldn't get over that. It's not like God is letting down a a ladder from heaven to earth, but the ladder is extended from earth to heaven. And that is a repeated message in the Scripture. I just was meditating over that throughout my study time. Lord, obviously there's purposefulness to that. The image conveys to Jacob that God is very much involved in his life with what is happening. The Lord has revealed that he is present and active. Even though Jacob thought that he was experiencing the worst days of his life, 
God wanted him to know that he is very present, that he is very active, that he was still with Jacob. And we find that God is just as engaged in our life as he was in Jacob's life. He actively is engaging and bringing about the affairs of the world to bring about his perfect will and the fulfillment of his word and promise. So I'm fascinated by this dream. The ladder set up on earth and it's top reaching into heavens, the, the highest rungs of it into heaven. There Jesus stands looking and on the ladder we find angels who are ascending and they are descending, actively moving on God's behalf to bring about his will. And God would give the assignment for them to accomplish his will. And to engage in a way that they would come about in Jacob's life. And nearly 2,000 years later, Jesus brings us some remarkable insights to this passage. I think it's worthy of us to look toward that. In John chapter 1, if you'd like to move over there. You say, why would I move there? Because it's going to be on the screens. <laughs> uh, because there's nothing more powerful than you opening the scripture and reading it. Maybe with a pencil in your hand marking it. Maybe making some notations about what God is saying to you specifically. In John chapter 1 verse 45 and following. He's calling his disciples to himself in his early part of the public ministry. And Jesus the next day decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida. The city of Andrew and Peter and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about these writings in Genesis. Moses wrote the Pentateuch. He wrote this section of scripture and Andrew and Peter and now Philip is Communicating to Nathaniel, we have found him. The ones the prophets and Moses wrote about. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> you can hear the scoff in that. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What are you talking about? Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and he said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered, I can see this and hear this. Because I said, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe me? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I love it when the Bible gives us insight to other parts of the Bible. You can't go wrong in that. It's not somebody else telling me about what that passage means, but God illuminating what the passage means. Now, some might find it remarkable that a ladder exists for which angels ascend and descend to bring about the will of God. But I'm telling you, there is something far more extraordinary than that. Jesus himself would be lifted, ascended from earth, 
so that he would bring about the will of God, that holy justice that God would bring against the sin of mankind would be poured out on his beloved son who was ascended from the earth on that cross. And there the wrath of God would be exercised against sin so that you and I would not experience that in our lives, but Christ would free us from that, forgive us of that, and his imputed righteousness would make it so that he could declare us holy before God himself, making us to be at peace with God. Christ was completing the redemptive ministry, bringing about the gospel will perfectly. So if you think that it's astounding that angels go and come to carry out the assignments of God, you'll find it even more remarkable that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to complete God's glorious assignment to rescue us from sin, death, and eternal judgment. In bringing up this narrative in Jacob's dream, Jesus is communicating to Nathaniel that what he is is the ultimate and excellent ladder, the link between heaven and earth, bringing about the mission of God in the perfect obedience that God would require. Paul understood this when he said Jesus is the mediator between God and man. He is that ladder that mediates perfectly the will of God. So the cross of Christ is like a ladder that is raised up from earth to heaven, providing God's perfect will and provision to save sinners and giving us access to God and heaven. And when Jacob woke up, he said, oh, surely the Lord is in this place. He felt how awesome is in this place. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. He understood where he had rested on that journey. Heaven and earth were connected. Now, he's, he's not talking about the specific place. He's talking about what God has revealed to him, although the place is important. It used to be called Luz. Uh, Moses says, the, at first it was called Luz, by the way, which means separation. But now... Jacob, in understanding God's movement to bring about his perfect will, to bring about blessing to the nations, Jacob says, no, this place from now on will be Beth-el. Beth meaning house and El, the name of God. This is the house of God. He's recognizing God's great movement. He understood his presence and his promises, and he's confident that God is going to bring about and that he is actively engaged to do that, that he would fulfill his will. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know. Man, that experience was life-changing for Jacob. Now, no doubt it's going to take a long time. It's going to take a couple of decades for God to really work in the heart and the mind and the life of Jacob. But this begins a journey with him. Time out. Some of you are thinking that God is going to supernaturally change you and the struggles in your life are forever gone. I'm here to tell you that God is giving you freedom and for the first time in your life in Jesus Christ by his spirit, he will give you victory over sin, power to have victory over sin, give you ways of escape that you never had before, but it's a journey. It's a journey called sanctification, God shaping you, molding you and me into holiness. 
It has a starting point and it has a completion point. The starting point is when your faith is in Jesus, that God is going to fulfill all the promises to you in Christ Jesus. And the ending point is when you are face to face with him and he makes you glorious in body just like he is. And in your glorified body and in mind, there will be not a speck of sin, not a hunger for it, not a lingering longing for it. You and I will be made righteous as Christ is righteous. This is a transformational event, and it changed him. Now, the location is not a mystical place. It's not like a supernatural gate, like a portal which we watch on TV when we watch sci-fi. It's not that. This is the place where God has revealed the intention of his heart, where he's revealed the practicality of his life engaged in ours, his assignment to bring about the will of God. And in Jacob's case, angels that are on a mission for God. I don't understand a lot about angelology, but I know this, that God uses them. I know this, we have something greater than an angel. We have the spirit of the living God dwelling within us. I know this, we're not looking for a messenger to give us a message of God. He has given us the very word of God breathed out by the mouth of God. I know those things to be true. In Christ Jesus, you and I have the fullness of God's gracious promises. And we can experience the Holy Spirit, not in a place called Bethel. We can experience his presence right now in us. So what are those promises that are ours in Christ Jesus? Let me finish this message by mentioning them to you. First, that Jesus is our salvation. This, this is the promise of God that was given this grand blessing to all the families that is offered. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, Paul writes to Galatians. Saying, you shall, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. Talking about the cross there. So that in Christ, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So the ultimate fulfillment of the promise that is given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is now ours in Christ Jesus. Our salvation rests in him. So put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I was talking last week with uh, some folks who are brand new to Meadowbrook, not in the kingdom of God, have not come to, to trust Christ as their Savior yet. And I was so longing for them to be here. You may be in the house, and if you're in the house, I want you to hear the word of God. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He promises he will bring you all the way through salvation to the very end. For what he starts, he completes. Put your faith in Christ. Secondly, Jesus is God with us, the spirit who dwells within us perpetually. Like there's, there's no moving in and out of the places where the Holy Spirit is for those of us who are in Christ. He lives within us at all times. You don't come in this place and hope that the Spirit of God shows up. No, the Spirit of God shows up in this place when the people of God are in this place. 
That's the reason why we could go to a gym for 14 years and worship God and have a grand movement of God's spirit in a gymnasium. The reason why that's possible is because it's not the location, it's the heart. And God has chosen to dwell within. So God is with us. His spirit dwells within us. I love the way that Jesus left and his parting words and and declaration to us, he says, behold, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. I'm going to be with you forever. God's presence is highlighted around the world with the celebration of Christmas songs. And you know what those Christmas songs have a reoccurring theme about? We sang it today, Emmanuel, God with us. That's a great promise, isn't it? And then third, Jesus will bring us into the eternal promised land. And I'm talking about not the land of Israel. I'm talking about the new heaven and the new earth. And he will bring us in there and he will dwell with his people eternally and we will dwell with him. Now, when Jacob recognized the magnitude of what God was saying to him, the promises that he was given, the uh, accomplishment that he was certain was coming about, the way in which he was going to bring it about, then he began to state a vow. Now, this is the first time that a vow is mentioned that I know of in the, in the Bible. This is the first time. And if you're not careful, you might read it as a third-class conditional sentence. If this is, then that will be. If God does this, then I will do that. And listen, there's no bargaining that you and I do that's ever successful with God. You can't bargain with God and come out on the better end. God comes to us with a promise. God comes to us. And he says, I'm not interested in your bargaining. I'm going to make the covenant here. And the covenant will not be established on you. The covenant will be established on me. And it will be by my blood that I will establish this covenant. And it will be the blood that will come from the cross of Calvary, in which this covenant is established. So this is not a conditional sentence. If God does this, then I'm going to do that. Jacob is saying, Since God is going to do this, since God will bring about his promises, since God will make provision for me, since God will provide for me food and clothing and bring me back to the land of my father in peace, then I will be for him. He will be my God. That's the declaration. It is reminiscent of what Paul is going to write to the Roman church when he says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, By the mercies of God. In other words, knowing the mercies of God, I am imploring you to live your life as a living sacrifice. In other words, if God is going to lay down his life in his son for you, then let your life be a living sacrifice to him. There's no negotiating there. It's an outright declaration. And I think that's where we ought to end this text. That recognizing the promises of God that are given to us in Christ Jesus, recognizing that all that he has afforded to us, let our life be lived in a vow that I live my life unto you. When you rise up in the morning, let it be God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your promises. And Lord, today, let my life be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. It is my reasonable act of worship to you. Let that be the case. Kay and I sleep on a my pillow. (laughs) 
We like it. <laughs> Hers has about 40% less of the little materials, patent materials that are inside there. Mine's bigger, fluffier. Did you know they base that on height? You determine the pillow size depending on your height. No wonder hers is flat. <laughs> we never have to wonder if I'm sleeping on my pillow and she's sleeping on her pillow. Is it flat? Yes, it's flat. That's yours. <laughs> Jacob did not have a my pillow. He had a rock. When you're weary... And exhausted, tired, the very core of your spirit broken, lonely, in despair. A rock will do. But when you meet God in that worst season of your life, that rock will become a pillar for which you will point to for the rest of your days. And when you come and go in conversations about that time, you will point it out to other people and say, God met me in my brokenness. God met me in my sin. And he promised to me something that I could not promise to him. And forever my life has changed. Some of you are there right now. And so, like Jacob, for the rest of your life, that will be your testimony. God came to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the treasure of your word, for the way you have spoken deeply in my spirit. And in many in this room and those listening, watching, engaging over an extended worship, thank you. Thank you for the hope. Thank you for the faith that you're pouring out. Thank you for the promises that are extended in Christ. Thank you for accomplishing them. Thank you. Find us faithful to you in word, in charity. Find us faithful. I pray to the glory and honor of Jesus, the promise keeper. Amen.